So we're going to be looking at some extensive passages in Nahum today. Did I do something wrong? It's not on? Testing? The battery says it's on. We're all rushing back there to fix it. Because well, we're working on that. Anyway, Nahum uh, is probably a book. There we go. I got it. That was, I was the problem. It was on standby. Sorry. Certain things you should just not leave to me. <laughs> um, it's probably safe to say that many of you will probably not spend a lot of time in the book of Nahum for the rest of your life. Uh, so uh, we're going to be looking at large segments of it. It, it actually is only, three, it's only a three-chapter book, all right? And so uh, listen to the Word of God as it comes to you. We're going to be reading most of chapter one and then part of chapter three. All right. An oracle concerning Nineveh. Nineveh, by the way, is the capital of Assyria. The book of the vision of Nahum of Elkosh. A jealous and avenging God is the Lord. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and prolongs it against his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger, but great in power. And the Lord by no means clear the guilty. His way is a whirlwind and a storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither, and the bloom of Lebanon fades. The mountains quake before him and the hills melt. The earth leaves before him, the earth heaves before him, the world and all who live it. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire and by him the rocks are broken in pieces. The Lord is good, a stronghold in a day of trouble. He protects those who take refuge in him. Now we jump to chapter three. Woe, city of bloodshed utterly deceitful, full of plunder, no end to the prey. Because of the countries, the botteries of the prostitute, gracefully alluring mistress of sorcery, who enslaves nations through her debaucheries and peoples through her sorcery. I am against you, says the Lord of hosts, and will lift up your skirts over your face, and will let nations look on your nakedness and the kingdoms on your shame. I will throw filth at you and treat you with contempt and make you a spectacle then all who see you will shrink from you and say, Nineveh, who will bemoan her? Who shall I say will comfort you? All who hear the news about you will clap their hands. For who has ever escaped your endless cruelty? May God bless the hearing and reading of his holy word. Let us pray. Lord, open up our eyes and our hearts that through your word proclaimed, we may encounter you, the living word. Nineveh is devastated. Who will bemoan her? Where shall I see comforters for you? All who hear the news about you clap their hands over you. For who has escaped your endless cruelty? Revenge is a dish best served cold. Of course, the French gave us that phrase. <laughs> My uh, younger two play kids were, were, were very good lacrosse players. 
Um, and they started playing at the same time. The club that was in our community, uh, at that point you started playing lacrosse when you were in fourth grade. Um, but my youngest son was a gifted athlete, so the guy in charge of it said he could start too. So number three son, John, was in fourth grade. Number four son, Peter, was in second grade. And, and they loved lacrosse. And like I said, it, it brought them lots of joy and success together. But when you're starting out playing the game, right, it's, it's tough. It's uh, getting the hand-eye skill. And even though they had worked a lot at home, it's still something you have to learn. And this was kind of an instructional team that was scrimmage among itself. So they broke into two teams, and I happened to get there in time to watch this. And my, the older brother, John, was on one team, and the younger brother, Peter, uh, who was the youngest kid in the group, was on the other team. And they were playing, and Peter was going to get a ground ball, which is probably the hardest skill to begin to learn. And this kid, who was a real smart aleck, just hit him as hard as he could. You know, it was a legal hit, but it was not a clean hit. You know what I mean? It didn't have to happen. And he's laughing, and, and I was worried. Peter was down on the ground. But one of the good things about having three older brothers is you develop a lot of calluses on your body, right? <laughs> so he's on the ground, and he's trying, you can tell he's trying not to cry, and, and he, you know, he gets up and he takes a few plays off. The game continues. Well, a few minutes later, this kid has the ball and he's running down the field to score. And out of nowhere, my son John comes and hits him as hard as he could. Now, they were on the same team. <laughs> and so this kid is on the ground yelling and crying and, and the coach goes, John, what are you doing? And John goes, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot. And then I could hear because it was close enough. And he reached down and he goes, like he's asking to help him up. He goes, that was my brother, and walks away from him. A couple things happened. That kid who was on the ground hated John for the rest of his life. But no one messed with Peter again. Now, as a parent watching this, as a father watching this, I have to admit, you know, I feel something of, you know, ambiguity. Right? Because the hit that Peter took was a legal hit. Okay? What John did was not legal. And it was more vicious than the hit that took out his brother. And so, you know, they come off the field and I say, you know, John, um, you can't be doing that. And then I said, and thanks for looking out for your brother. <laughs> right? So the proverbial mixed message, you know, right? We do that all the time. But, you know, there's something really satisfying about revenge on so many levels, right? I mean, let's think about the great literature. Perhaps arguably the greatest play ever written, Hamlet, is all about revenge. The most popular international novel arguably ever written was The Count of Monte Cristo. Again, what's it about? Revenge. Movies. My name is Iago Mantegna. You killed my father. Prepare to die, right? All of us of a certain generation know that phrase. What about the John Wick movies? John Wick 1, John Wick 2, John Wick 3, John Wick 4. By the way, I looked this up. There, the body count in the John Wick films are 439 people were killed. Now, I'm not sure who had the time to count that, right? But if you remember, what was the original reason that John Wick was going on revenge? Because somebody killed his baby or his beagle puppy. Okay. Now, puppies are cute, but have any of you had a beagle? 
I mean, the bad guys maybe did them a favor. They're hard to take care of, right? Popular music. Every other Taylor Swift song is about revenge, right? Uh, There's a famous couple of ads, gosh, time flies, maybe about 20 years ago, the Carrie Underwood song that graphically describes her destruction of her cheating boyfriend's truck. What about history? History and revenge has been a very important motivator of nations and army in justification for wars. Remember the Alamo. Remember the Maine. Remember Pearl Harbor. 9-11, we will never forget. So there's a sense of revenge is an is a, is a important part, if you would, of, of culture. For Nahan, the destruction of Nineveh in 612 BCE, so this is only a few decades before the time period that we'll be talking about this week in, in our summer adventure. Um, when, when Nahum is writing his book, he in essence is saying, remember Samaria, the northern kingdom that the Assyrians destroyed. Remember Isaiah, who was killed indirectly or directly because of the Assyrians. Remember all the children that were sacrificed because of the Assyrian gods. Remember the desecration of the temple of the Lord. Nahum is the second of the seventh century prophets we're work, looking at this summer. And it's probably a decade or so after last, from, from last week's sermon from Zephaniah. And Nahum is written when there's a time of reform and optimism going on in Judah. We talked about that last week. It's written probably in the latter years of the Josiah reform. And as I said this week in the blog, the only people who mourned the fall of Nineveh and Assyria were the Assyrians. From Cyprus to Babylon, from the Caucasus Mountains all the way down to Judah, people rejoiced when they heard that Nineveh had been overthrown. All empires gain and maintain their power by force, whether these be ancient empires or modern ones. But the Assyrians were particularly brutal and cruel. I, I used to teach, I would teach a class, um, a, a Hebrew Bible class, sometimes in seminary. And as I was trying to help my students remember the different empires, I said, every time you hear the Assyrians, go boo, right? Go hiss and boo. Because of all the bad guys in the ancient world, they were, they were arguably the worst. Nahum is a prophetic celebration of the destruction of a society that was built on violence, exploitation, slavery, and idolatry. And that the Babylonians and the Medes are the ones who are doing the killing in Nineveh, Nahum proclaims that God is the ultimate author of justice over the Assyrian capital. Now, in most Christian circles nowadays, talking about the justice of God is out of style. And the churches where it is in style, it's usually talking about people they don't like, right? <laughs> the people we disagree with, those are the ones we should get, you know, God should judge, right? And the idea of karma is not a Christian one, or in, in many ways, it's not a Jewish one either. But there is an idea of accountability. There is a notion of a judgment day, the day of the Lord. There will be an ultimate accounting for evil. Justice will roll down, according to the Bible, eventually. But as I said with the kids, there's a, there's a 
thin line, humanly speaking, between revenge and justice. And as Jesus cautioned, <laughs> one of the many things that we've ignored that Jesus said, right? If you live by the sword, what happens? You die by the sword. Chapters 2 and 3 of Nahum are are fairly vivid representations of what a siege and capture of a city was like in the ancient world. And the prophet is hardly sympathetic. But when Nineveh fell, there were thousands of innocent victims, either killed by malnutrition, the fire, or the sword. There were children in that city. There were slaves that had been taken from other homes, including, most certainly, the descendants of the northern tribes. When Nineveh fell, there were Jewish slaves that died as well. I bought a book a number of years ago that I never got around to reading. I started reading this week. It's called The Assyrian. It's a novel. And the thing about it is, I've never read, I had never read it um, but it, it talks about the Assyrian history from the account of a fictional Assyrian character. And it reminds me that when we make enemies, when we talk about taking revenge, you really have to dehumanize the other, right? I mean, that's probably the most disturbing, well, there's so many disturbing things going on in our country right now. But the fact is that our divisions in this country have gone beyond a difference of ideas. It's gone beyond holding a particular position with passion. There is an active demonization of those who disagree with us. And it's just not among the pagans. People who call themselves Christians may be some of the worst perpetrators of a spirit of vengeance, the dehumanization of others. Edmond de Tons is the hero and the Count of Monte Cristo, and there's a point in the book where he says, fool that I am, that I did not tear out my heart the day I resolved to avenge myself. Revenge is a toxic cocktail. The book from the book about uh, Louis Zeppernini, the uh, book that was called uh, Unbroken, there was a movie as well about the Olympian who survived um, in the open sea for 40 some days and then survived all kinds of torture in, in Japanese war prison camps. A quote from the book says this, The paradox of vengefulness is that it makes men dependent upon those who have harmed them, believing that their release from pain will come only when their tormentors suffer. One of my professors at Princeton one time said, Dodgley Zallen, of blessed memory, if you say you truly love justice, then we would want it to fall on our own heads as much as others. And most of us don't want that, right? If you love justice, then you want it to happen to you as well. Nahum does relish the destruction of Nineveh, 
but it's important to see that the book clearly says that God is the ultimate judge. The revelation of Jesus is that God came not to condemn, but rather to save. The ultimate judgment of the world is still in the hands of God. But we as the people of God are to be part of the ongoing redemption of the world. This idea is also reflected in the Jewish mystical idea of healing the world. Our first reading was from Romans 12, which I think is Paul's midrash, his, his little interpretation, it's like a Jewish interpretation of the sayings of Jesus. When Jesus said you should not judge, he says it so many times. We pray it every week, by the way, right? We pray it every week. Have you noticed that? Forgive us our trespasses as what? As we forgive others, right? So we pray that every week. And so I think Paul's really reflecting on what does it mean to love your enemies? And I won't read it again, but we're, we're not to repay those evil for evil. That's in the hands of God. On April 19th, 1995, 168 people were killed, 680 were injured in the bombing of the government building in Oklahoma City. Two of those folks that were killed were James Cranberg's wife, she was in her 50s, and his daughter, who was in her 30s. They both worked at the building. Ironically, the execution of Timothy McVeigh happened just a few months before 9-11. It happened on June 11, 2011. And the federal government allowed 300 and some survivors and victims to watch the execution if they wanted to. But Jim Kreinberg chose not to do it. Matter of fact, he spoke out against the execution of Timothy McVeigh. He said this, you're killing another person. I really did not want the death penalty. I've had enough of death. One of the many things that trouble me about this country is the fact that it doesn't seem like we've had enough death. It seems like we're quite comfortable with death. And it's probably the most telling sign about how pagan we are. The way of the cross, the way of Jesus, is not some sort of weak, it's not some sort of Pollyannish optimism about the human race. What it does realize is that God is the judge and I am not. And if God did not come to condemn the world, then it's not my job either. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. I invite you to stand and we would say together what we believe in the words of the Apostles.